start. Sooners of Oklahoma 12-0 and still looking for respect nationwide. What is going on, Sooner Nation? Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of The Barry and Mac Show. As always, myself, Barry, personal trainer and sports performance coach out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And alongside me, former Sooner wide receiver, 2000 national champ, Mr. Damian Mackey. We are back after a short little hiatus, but we've got some news for Sooner Nation. First on the docket. 2018 Heisman Trophy winner Kyler Murray. It is official. The man will have his statue unveiling at the annual red versus white spring scrimmage. But also in the news, a gentleman that you were around a bit, DMAC, um, Adrian Peterson, selected to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Just real quick, man, but before we get into uh, what we're going to talk about in terms of recruiting, uh, there's some big news there. Um, Of course, spring football has started and and is well underway. Um, So we're going to obviously talk about the current players on the roster. But talk about these two, man. Kyler Murray, 2018 Heisman Trophy winner, and Adrian Peterson, who, who arguably could have won it, you know, maybe if he. 10 years later up for the trophy maybe he does win it uh but but what are your thoughts on these two two good guys man ad is is a guy yes his freshman year i was around town and i got to see him up close and personal do some herculean things um and then kyler murphy was a guy that uh obviously watched him closely in high school when he was killing it at allen and then when we got the opportunity who remembers when it was both he and the other kid leaving AM and everybody was like they want the other guy like nah no nah bro <laughs> i want kyler murray sign me up for murray man I, you know and, and sure enough he comes to norman and you know uh creates a legacy legacy for himself and and another thing he did be is he waited his turn like salute to him for being a, a five-star borderline five-star player who came and uh, saw and developed and got better working with bake. He and bake, you know, leverage each other's strengths. And then boom, when he got his opportunity, he probably had one of the very best offensive seasons for a student quarterback ever. So uh, good for him. Good for AD. Shout out to both of those phenomenal Sooners. And uh, you know, one of these days, man, uh, it'll be fun to get one of those guys on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to have both of them at some point, you know, one day or another, you know, Kyler had such a, such an impact on Oklahoma football for, for just one season. You know, I, I honestly don't know if there is another comparison for what he did in one single year other than people who are outside the, the the scope of OU football. You can maybe point to a Cam Newton and what he did right. at, at Auburn, but other than him, Joe Burrow was a two-year guy to just the impact that that Kyler had in one one season. It just I I don't know if something like that will be uh duplicated anytime soon. And as it goes for Adrian Peterson, legend, a guy who was still, 
you know, sort of being kicked around the NFL, still going team to team, you know, shows the kind of kind of athlete that the guy still was, even at the, you know, ripe old age of of late 30s, you know, for an NFL guy, right? You think about it, he played in the the Boise State game back in 2006 or seven, you know, just going back that far. Yeah. So, so going back that far for a guy like that to have the longevity he has, I haven't looked lately, but I know when he, I essentially imagine he's hung it up, you know, at this point, Um, maybe there's another team out there that picks him up off of, you know, some situation, but he was nearing some some pretty big time records and he'll first ballot hall of famer. I know he doesn't have the super bowls like Emmett, but he's got to be first round, first ballot hall of famer. Right. The only thing I can stand his way is the PR deal with his son. You know, the people are yeah. still harping him. Um, and listen, man, he went overboard with that. I think that he would even agree that leaving some of the the bruising and stuff that he did was probably a bit much, but unfortunately in, in the world that we live in today where optics and, you know, court of public opinion are, are very important as it relates to, you know, how guys are perceived, I, his numbers and his dominance and, and being on a Viking or in, in a Viking organization where they weren't proverbial winners might supersede that, but it's something that I imagine people might hold against him. And I, I think one year minimum, it, it will hold him back. Uh, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a HOF guy for sure. And looking forward to, you know, having him be in there with the rest of the Sooners. Absolutely, man. Uh, talking about some current Sooners. Uh, if you guys are on uh, Sooners 360, podcast uh, yesterday uh, i actually hopped on there uh one of our guys w- was out but we discussed this upcoming weekend and i want to you know wrap the the weekend in a bit of context uh brent was at the podium the other day and and he said something that i found interesting because it's only been essentially one full you know sort of calendar year or 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 one and a half recruiting cycles, you know, so to speak. And he said, I know we have the right foundation. And one of the things we said on the podcast last night was how important this this spring is for the success of the team, you know, what they show, you know, recruits during the visit. But but this season is really going to matter. But I want to talk about this weekend, 75 plus guys showing up. It's in the context of, you know, below 500, had this discussion the other day, an under 500 football season for the first time since you played. What does Brent mean by saying, I know we have the, the right foundation when they're coming off of a losing season? And the the defense struggled the offense struggled w- what is your sentiment from that well i think there's a couple of things working in tandem right first things first um anytime you take over a new program there's going to be kind of a you can even associate this to business right when you disrupt the culture of any entity it could be a household it could be your company it could be a school obviously in this particular instance we're talking about a football program there's going to be some discord there's going to be some dissonance right there's going to be some folk who don't necessarily immediately get on the train and sometimes 
the parts don't fit the vehicle. And so uh, coach comes in, BV comes in and he has a vision. And one, there are certain people in the building who are link guys, holdovers or or apologists, and they're not necessarily immediately going to just um, follow coach's vision. Number two, you you're you're trying to implement. And we saw this last season a strategy, a game plan, schemes that don't necessarily match the talent that is currently uh, in the locker room, right? In the red room. And then and then last but not least, uh, I think there's something to be said about just elevating from the position of a pretty much Hall of Fame caliber coordinator to a very first year inexperienced head ball coach. It's just there there's a there's a growth trajectory that you have to do before you can just be successful. Everybody's not going to uh, start year one and kill it. So when you look at that piece of it, there there is a, a logic based uh, understanding as to why there were some issues. But I think the other piece is, you know, you're you're in, like you said. This is their third offseason, right? So they had a winter, a summer, and then they just completed their second winter. Guys have been working with Coach Schmitty for over a year. Everyone in the program now has had a calendar year to get their body in a better position, which Coach Schmitty matches what Coach Venables wants in terms of performance uh, with athleticism, right? The sports performance component. And so that part is going to start to have the residual impact. I, I think as you go back to scheme, right? Guys last year were learning terminology. We're learning how to, you know, sit in a certain window versus coverage or what to do in a certain instance, DG versus, or not versus, but with his receivers weren't necessarily comfort. Listen, my level of comfort, I've said this many times, my level of comfort with hype year one versus year two is apples and doorknobs, right? Like year one, I was just worried about getting to my window and reading coverage. Year two, I knew exactly what was going to be happening. And if the defense did this, I could go there. If the defense sat, then I'm going to sit. And if the defense chasing, chasing me, then I'm going to continue to run. Like those are things that came with reps and time. And those are things that guys are going to feel more confident. I think the last piece though, just damn it, we got better players. Like, what are we talking about, right? We infused competition against on the D-line. There were some seniors who, God bless them, right? We appreciate what they did in the Crimson and Cream, but there's opportunity for more athleticism, more length, and, and, and the ability to be explosive. There just are more uh, possibilities for that in the field. And we had a killer recruiting class. Don't, and, and, and people sleep. This is BV's second really solid um, recruiting class. He came in in December or January of, of last recruiting season and cleaned up, right, with, with really no time to get things done. Obviously, this year, having a number four class in America on some publications, and then we're going to talk about this a little more, but, and you, and you brought it up, it's about the weekend. Listen, I'm here to tell you, OU's not taking a seat to anybody moving forward when it comes to the expectation of the caliber of player we are going to recruit. And uh, I'm telling you from the horse's mouth, within those walls in that program, OU believes they can recruit with Bama. They can recruit with UGA. They can make Texas they burnt orange, redhead little bro as we go to the SEC. And, and I like it. Right. He hasn't proven it. The proof isn't in the pudding just yet. But damn it, you got to have that type of that mentality. Otherwise, you're going to be mediocre. So a lot of things working in our favor for now. It's just talk. I'm interested to see. I, I was saying this to the crew, right? I will rest my case 
the second Sunday in October. I'm going to be a critic. I'm going to sit on the sidelines and not get to, if we go and beat Sisters of the Poor Handkerchief University in September and whoever we play week one in the Big 12, the first, you know, the last day of the last Saturday of September or the first Saturday of October, I don't care. Uh, Texas did something to us that they've never done before. We need to repay them in spades. And then after that game, then I'll get my pom-poms and begin to cheerlead depending on how we perform. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you want to be a better program comes down to getting better players, you've now had the ability to, to have some addition by subtraction because now you, I mean, people who've been in this situation know when you walk into a brand new um, environment as, as an employee or as a leader, you have to kind of work to earn your leverage, earn the cachet in the room, earn the respect, and you have to earn that in order to be to be able to make moves that sometimes seem harsh, but are are the right moves, right? The the optics get a little bit easier, you know, the the longer you've been there, as long as some of those continue to pan out. Uh, we would definitely definitely be remiss if we didn't bring up an interesting hire that has happened in, in the past week. Um, former Sooner, a guy you played with, national champion, uh, a brother in arms, if you will, on that 2000 team, and a guy who was there, you know, through some of the rough patches at, at OU, and a gentleman who has really made a name for himself in terms of, of running an offense um, in college football. And that is a former OU fullback, Seth Luttrell. He is going to be in an analyst role. What do you think of the hire? Do you think there are some long-term ramifications to this as it pertains to you know, a one-coach levy maybe down the road? Or do you feel you know, this might be more of a jumping off point for, for Seth uh, to get into another job or another position, maybe a little quicker. You know, I, I won't project on the, the actual kind of like, you know, schematics behind the scene, but I will say this is a common thread, Barry, in creating depth and competition. Coach Seth, which that's crazy. That was my fullback, right? Like, by the way, that's some he Seth Latrell is some stories. I can tell you some stories about Seth. Oh. Seth is a fool, grown man, coach, salute, shout out, all that good stuff. But nah, bro, in the locker room and and and, and off season and in the huddle, Seth to say some stuff. Now I'm here to tell you, Seth. 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 Oh. By the way, Seth's a dog. Uh, but I think Coach, I think Coach Latrell uh, provides another purview. He's 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 laid his own chops. He's been, you know, uh, very successful on the offensive side of the ball. I think he had one of the top offenses when he was in North Carolina. In fact, was was he with uh, who was the who was the head ball coach when he was there? But uh, did a great job there. Uh, and obviously at North Texas, when I was at Cedar Hill, we sent a couple boys to North Texas while he was the HBC up there. So. Um, and then, and then he is a sooner. He gets it right. People are talking about nepotism and oh, continue. like nah, bro. Seth has as an analyst. Seth is as good as you can get. As we start to develop an analyst, um, a team of analysts like the Alabamas of yesteryear, where they started to take ex head ball coaches and develop and have essentially uh, a pipeline 
available for guys to come, not necessarily resurrect their career, but turn a new leaf, right? And to have a value add like him, an individual who, think about it, like he has connections all throughout Texas. He has, he is beloved in the state of Oklahoma. Um, he has, you know, he has the experience. He won a natty as the captain, one of the captains of the team. Um, I'm excited. Like, I can't wait to get into town and and uh, give him a hug. And I'm going to probably throw a two-piece right to his chest plate, see if he, he look a little soft. I'm going to let him know, like, bro, you look like you've been eating too much steak, man. You putting too much sour cream on the potatoes, bro. You got to tighten that up. You know, I'm going to throw a jab or three at him like I did hype. But I, I know, here's what I know. Here's what I know, B. Here's what I know. So, so, so we came and got introduced to Jerry Schmidt. And he woke our game up. Shout out to Blair Prince. I still talk to him to this day. By the way, really good strength coach. Um, he he was more of a, he treated us like pros and gave us some autonomy. And guys were successful with that. Okay. But again, a lot of, you know, some 19 and 20 year olds are not mature enough <laughs> to be trusted to do a lot of things on their own. And so that was probably where some, some, some issues lied. But Seth was with us day one. And, and Seth was with us when we was like, uh, we got to do what? Like that was the warm up. Like, oh, we haven't even started the workout. And Steph was 100% boots on the ground, dog. Like, yo, we're going to finish what we started. You know, yo, we we not going to ring the bell. I hold on, D-Mac. You got to go, you know, like Seth was there and Seth excelled. Seth was a guy who I, I saw Seth do things, you know, that I was like, man, much respect. If he ain't going to quit and die, damn it. I ain't going to quit and die. And I firmly believe it's those lead dogs. And that's what I like to call them. It's those war daddies that when they set the standard and say, hey, y'all, this is the standard. Well, the rest of us, um, you know, the, the definition of a good leader is somebody who builds more leaders. Right. And so it gave us the breath we needed to say, hey, man, I can lead, too. I'm a sophomore. I don't care. It's my first year on offense. I'm not tripping. I'm going to go get it. And, and to have that mentality. In, in, in the room and in the offices and, and right. And, and, you know, making decisions, Seth ain't going to let people tarnish his university. This is his school. So if somebody don't have the best interest of OU, the Sooners, uh, you know, our actual legacy, Seth is going to speak up. That's just the kind of dude he is. He would speak up to Bob. So I, I think it's a home run hire. I think he'll add some ideas. Obviously we're not even talking strategy. We're not talking game planning. We're not talking all that other thing that all the other things that, going to bring to the table uh i'm juiced i'm excited to have seth on deck and, and i'm gonna get to norman and like i said i'm gonna check his i'm gonna check his chest plate if he's soft i'm gonna let him know like bro you done softened up don't me man so we'll see how that goes <laughs> yeah I, I think it's an interesting hire in that if if alabama made this same hire we would be saying alabama there they go bringing in top-notch guys very shrewd yep very shrewd so so what Venables is doing is essentially the same thing. He just hasn't put the success behind it yet. But, you know, that was one of the things that was was missing from the team a year ago. And, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, was the the leadership. I mean, we talked about it pretty in depth in the season, was having a guy or multiple guys like a Seth Luttrell who sort of came up in the program, went through the fire, went through the fight, and 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 someone who can lead vocally, lead by example, and and be a be a tone setter for 
every single day that you show up because the practices are so limited and becoming a better team, you cannot waste days. And if you don't have players holding players accountable, then you're not going to maximize what you can be. And as an analyst, I'm curious what, because he's not coaching on the field. I know there there are going to be. They can coach now. They can coach. They can coach now. Okay. And that's why you saw it. Did you see our practice? They're all coaches out there. Interesting. All the coaches are on the field. The analysts can be on the field now. 2023 season. So, so that's, you know, another interesting piece to this whole thing. How does someone in that role who's not an OC, how is he able to talk with a Dylan Gabriel, you know, or, or Jackson Arnold, maybe a little different than a coach Levy would, right? The, the time spent with these guys, I feel like it is absolutely advantage Oklahoma in terms of bringing them on, on staff. You got a guy with, you know, essentially, you know, head coaching experience, good offensive mind, uh, and, and someone who from a recruiting standpoint, is going to be able to get into a ton of different homes, solidify Oklahoma some more, uh, which is something I think they need. Uh, talking a little bit about what's going to be on the field uh, playing, we've seen multiple reports of various guys. You know, by this time now, everybody's heard of Kobe McKenzie and, and the run he sort of had um, over the winter and leading into the spring. Talked about some of the development of, of an R. Mason Thomas up to a solid 240, looking very, very good. Um, looks like Gavin That's Sawchuk has continued. Yeah, man. And it's also some good stuff coming out about Marcus Strong. The, the, there's been some, some, oh, that is your other man. You called him out. Yep. You called him out. Yep. So I, I said he's going he's gonna to be a guy. Um, but I want to ask you, you know, just from, uh, from your experience and then also seeing the, the, the product on the field last year, is there a couple guys who maybe you are excited of what you've seen so far, you know, from the videos and what you've heard? And then are there a couple guys who, man, you're going to need to show me something this spring, this summer, because I don't know if you're fully checked in right now. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, defensively, uh, I am buying uh, stunts stock. You know, I was pretty, I harped on him pretty hard last year. Pretty hard. Um, had a great conversation with Coach V at Roy Lee's uh, um, Hall of Fame deal in Vegas. And then have just see the, saw the way he played in the bowl game. And then, then just seeing, you know, him be a guy who's been in the program and, and having the cachet. Like, I, I felt like there was a season where, guys just kind of were nominated or like appointed leaders. Like, bro, I didn't really see it. Like, what did he do to deserve it? He's gone through the fire. And I think this is an opportunity for him to have some redemption and and could potentially be an all-conference, you know, caliber player. He put up all-conference caliber numbers last year. It just didn't always happen when they needed it to happen. So I'm looking at studs. I think he's a guy who will be, uh, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the sergeants of the defense. And I'm excited to see his growth and development. I'm looking at the DN position, uh, the, the, the Wake Forest K Bothrod. I think I said his name correctly. He's a guy who provides us with flexibility, right? He's a big, strong, long veteran guy who comes from a physical conference. I think people don't, just don't understand the difference in physicality in some of the conferences, right? And him coming from a conference where you 
are going to play against, uh, you know, Wake Forest played against, uh, you know, uh, Clemson and Florida State and Miami, right? You're, you're going to go there. They've got some blue blood programs that he's been around and been successful with. He's going to bring a lot of flexibility. He's a guy who I think that we can just uh, push inside in a 30 man front or be outside in a 30 man frame, but he could be a, he could be a three tech. He's a guy who I think has really? enough range to his game to, I, I don't, I don't think he's in, I'm talking about passing downs, right? Yeah. We've got some type of pre-snap game we're playing. And I think he's a guy who can line up over a guard and be successful. I don't think he's a guy who's going to be head up over a center, but I do think he's a guy who can line up shade on a guard and go get after it. So I'm looking at him, what he brings to the table. I also, you know, a, one more defensive guy is, is I'm going to bring two guys up and it surprised me, but like, I think uh, Desan and, and Harrington are both going to be guys who are going to be put in positions to be studs. That cheetah position is going to be fun. They're long, they're fast, and and word on the street is both have phenomenal off seasons. And word on the street are both our Schmitty guys. And I'm just here to tell you, being a Schmitty guy is the cheat code to getting on the field. If Schmitty advocates for you and you don't have mental busts, you're going to play because Schmitty is essentially the hardest part. He's the hardest part of the, the recipe, 100%. Like he's the yeah. mental part where if he, if he mentally, you know, I don't want to use the R word in 2023, but we used to call it mentally rapes you like you may never see the field, right? Offensive side of the ball, Stogner comes and solidifies things. Uh, people, like to harp on him but again another guy coming back from a very physical conference and coming back to the big 12 it's gonna it's gonna give him some advantages based upon the level of conf um, competition he played against i'm looking at bird uh i'm just telling y'all everyone i talk to says he is a man child and is not taking it soft on anybody. Um, he's working on his body. He had a couple of off the field concerns that, you know, people were whispering around. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing he's passed those. So I think he's another key cog that gets us back to having those uh, rough riders on the O line. That's going to kick some ass. Um, a couple of people that I want to see what, what's up. And I'm starting that quarterback and I'm not trying to start controversy, but damn it, DG, you've been in college. You know what I'm saying? What is this show? Six season, bro. I think this is six, the sixth year for you, fifth or sixth year. One of those, you've been around a long time. I want to see you. We're Oklahoma, right? I don't mind having conversations about is Jalen Hurts a sooner or, 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 you know, Crimson Tide. I promise we promise you no one will be having that conversation if he wasn't a stud. Like we need to see you take the next step and be a stud. I don't want you to be, you know, uh, uh, just good enough. OU is not a place where you're mediocre. OU, right, you know, the Trevor Knights of the world get zero love here in terms of on-the-field success for having a winning, a winning record. We don't care, bro. You better bring it because we got a young boy behind you and he just looks different. He just looks yeah. different. When he throws the ball, it looks different coming off his hand. When he does his footsteps, he's got a little more explosion and wiggle to, you know, the twitch and how he rotates his hips from the left looking to the right. And, 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 and social media allows us to see that. And so I'm looking for DG to step up. I'm looking for the receivers. I think we're in good hands, uh, 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 Barry. I really do. I think yeah. that the mix of Farouk coming back and, and um, the guys coming in, uh, Anthony Kidd out of Michigan, 
Um, and then the puppies, right? Anderson and Gibson uh, leveling up. I think we've got a good mix. Plus the guys we brought in last season in the, in the portal, Hester and, and uh, the other kid, the, the buddy wearing my number. Um, so I think we've got a group, but somebody come be a dude. Like, the, you know, like when's the last time Oklahoma didn't have a dude at receiver? Like, bruh. And I get it. Mims, salute. Mims. But like Mims, again, Mims has made big plays. Let's not diminish what he did. But we, by the way, bro, I'm super proud of you and, and what you've done and the times you've run and, and proving yourself. That's dope. I think you made yourself some money. But an alpha dog is an alpha dog. And uh, you can't have the drops he had, and and some of the er- some of the other areas where there were some inconsistencies. Uh, Mims Mims is a guy who who goes on the list. I'm not going to diminish that, but we need somebody to go be a RB. We need somebody to go be a Hollywood Brown or a CD Lamb or a Mark Clayton. We need a wet DD Westbrook. We need somebody. A Shep Shep always gets slept on, but Shep was a dog, right? We need somebody who's going to catch 14 balls a game, get the third and nines, get 11 yards, and and go in and hit a safety in a mouth. I guess you can't crack back anymore. So whatever, I don't know. Hit him in the mouth on a stock block, right? If you can't if you can't crack back, stock block. Because <laughs> I got to just stay you. in front of a guy. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I don't want to just do nah. that. We're going to have some physicality going on around these parts. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, uh, the O-line needs to step up. The defensive tackle position is one where the coaches mm. are very adamant about saying if those guys step up, they they believe they're a playoff caliber team if the D-line is specifically the defensive tackles, which, by the way, there are about four or five 21, 22-year-old grown men. Cole has been around forever. Kelly has been around forever. The kid who transferred in from Notre Dame, right? The kid who transferred in from Texas State, right? I think this is Gilliam's third year in the program. I mean, there are guys. This isn't a young position group. We need those guys to be grown men in 2023 and and push around and be disruptive. Uh, but I think that's a I think that's a, a wait and see step up and uh, get a done deal. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Deshaun. You you touched on it, and Twitter was ablaze when OU released the uh, the roster and weights. And I don't know necessarily what the expectation was from Sooner Nation about what he was going to be when when he got here, but he was listed at two twenty two, and. I guess they expected him to to throw a bunch of weight on and, and be a guy on the edge and, and, and whatnot. And he still can be, but I, I want to put kind of my two cents on this. When a guy gets to Oklahoma and he is a young guy like that, the only reason you don't see a bunch of weight gain, that there are a few. One is the guy doesn't buy in. He's, he's not doing all the right stuff off the field. He's not doing the recovery piece. He's not you know pushing himself when it comes to the workouts. And by all reports, it sounds like that is a is a non-factor for for McCullough. It sounds like he is all in, as you said, reports are is he's a he's a schmitty guy. The other piece to that is the more likely piece, and that is, the coaches don't want to put a bunch of weight on him, right? They may see a guy where gaining weight for the sake of gaining weight does not always solve problems. If you have a guy who 
maybe he's not squatting as much as he could at his his current body weight. If he's a guy who is light, but maybe he's still a little slow-footed, what's going to happen when you start throwing weight on that guy? You're going to take a, a bad situation and make it worse. We saw that with a few offensive linemen in the Riley era. You know, guys who were kind of up and down, yo-yoing with the weight, but it never impacted their play on the field. So he's a guy who I think it's, I'm not going out on a limb to say he has a pretty big year for the Sooners. You know, potential all-conference, possible, you know, fringe all-American guy if things go right based on what he did at Indiana and with how OU wants to potentially use him. Uh, but when you see that, the, Venables has been in this long enough to know if a guy is plenty strong enough, plenty fast enough, and has the capability to play the positions. And, and for, from what we've kind of talked about a little bit, it does sound like it is a it is the cheetah role that he's going to be filling, which means they're are some things where he's going to be down around the line of scrimmage and having to kind of bump and, and, and hang down there with, with, with some of the bigger folks. But it, it doesn't make any sense to assume that OU is either making a mistake with not putting 20 pounds, 10, whatever the expectation was, or the, the other side is that he's not bought in. So just kind of my thoughts. Do you have any comment on that? I do. I do. I think people have this misconception that football is like, they got to be big ogreish guys. Like if you see some of the, especially defensive players, let me give you an example. Roy, we're in our, we're in our early twenties. Roy's a pro, pro bowl caliber player for the Cowboys. Second season, third season. He invites me to Hawaii. Right, so I go to Hawaii for the pro bowl. And uh, first things first, I will say this quarterbacks. Yo, I've told you this before avatars. I'm in a, I'm in an elevator with uh, Peyton Manning and uh, um, sheesh. Uh, what's my buddy's name? I play for the Philadelphia Eagles from Syracuse. Um, oh man. They, their bodies just look different. Like, yo, like it's like almost like NBA basketball players, but like just wow. the girth. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, one of one of Peyton Manning's like calves is like this big, right? Yeah. So okay, that side I'm like, God dang, these guys are huge. I mean, huge, huge. But then uh, a guy who played for Tennessee, uh, um, a Pro Bowl caliber player by the name of Al Wilson, Barry. Mm -hmm. I'm standing next to him in the club. By the way, he was drinking up a storm at the club that day. He he looked my size. I mean, obviously thicker, right, right through the back yeah. and shoulders. Probably 234, something like that. But he was six foot. Dude was six foot, 234, bigger shoulders than me, you know, thicker back and probably through his trunk, a thicker guy. I mean, he had 40, 35 pounds on me. But like you wouldn't have known that this is a all pro or, you know, pro bowl caliber player when you look at him versus like a Peyton Manning or Donovan McNabb or an offensive lineman, even a Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens just looked different. He just looked different from the rest of the guys like, bro, he is an avatar as well. And so I say that to say this. People have this misconception that football is big. Listen, Alabama got caught by everybody because Nick Saban stuck with the bigger guy a couple of years too long, right? He, he kept the 247-pound backers and team spread them out, put them in space, 
and gave them a hard time. Day signing is exactly what you're looking for as a guy who can play in space. He has those long limbs, right? He's a guy, Barry, and you know this because you're a sports performance guy. In two years, he's going to sneeze and weigh 241. So why in heaven's earth would, 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 would coach in eight weeks put him on a plan to specifically put 15, 10, I don't, even five pounds. Like I'm sure they just told him, eat what you want to eat, make sure you're healthy, hit your lifts. And, and and if you end up 231, awesome. If you stay at 227, awesome, right? Like there isn't a plan for a player like him to try to artificially put weight on them. Like I had to, I came in at 171. I had torn my ACL. They had to put 10 pounds on me just to be, you know, in the echelon. And so my first year I focused on that. He doesn't have that problem. And I think people, I think people hear his numbers and his, and his, and his plays around the line of scrimmage with sacks and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, he wasn't like taking on right and left tackles 21 times a game as a weak side end. He was bringing pressure. He was an edge defender, right? He was playing games. He was an outside dog or an inside dog, right? He's a guy who was able to see, react, and go get it versus being a stand-up end whose sole purpose was to chase the quarterback. So we don't want him to weigh 240 until God naturally says, here's 240 pounds. And, you know, he he does it in a way where it just happens over time. So, and I, by the way, I know this for a fact. I know for a fact he, he had one of the best off seasons in the program. And he's a guy that Schmitty absolutely loves because of his effort and his work. So, you know, the presumption that, you know, he dogged it and or didn't take advantage, like he did exactly what he needed to do. And I think with his length, I, and you know this, Long arms are so needed in football that the ability to leverage being able to put distance between you and an individual when you're trying to keep them off you and the ability to leverage your your arms being able to cover ground and coverage it it, it 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 it's worth 20 pounds you know what i'm saying like he doesn't need the 20 pounds those levers give him a 20 pound advantage and so nah man the kids what second year college player let's let him naturally grow let's give him the opportunity to have three four compacted years in the weight room by the way he's another guy who said he'd never had an offseason like the one he had this year so he had a wake-up call and had to level up coming in and playing uh, or being involved in an ou offseason program I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves and he's 242, you know what I'm saying? As a 22-year-old, or depending on how many years he plays. Uh, but today, no, what is he, 227? Was he 227 when they, they showed the They listed him at 222. I bet by the time season rolls around, he's probably 230. So I, I think he's right around where they want him to play. He, he's good. To, he's good to go. Well, and if he's you look, he's not playing a Nick Benito role. And I think that's what fans in their head picture and Nick Benito was this thicked up 240 250 and got thicker kind of the the longer he played now in, in the NFL's put on even a little more you know that happened yeah. to Oboe you know sort of naturally but but the cheetah role has so much more flexibility i mean there were times when when we saw um his name already escapes me now 23 out there on the field there were some times where he was playing safety 
there were some times where he he was more more of a will spot or he was out there on the edge rushing the passer. It was just sort of all over the place. And now take a guy who could be essentially just as fast, but also extremely long. And we got to think of what football is now. It's a space game. It's not, it it will always be a leverage and physicality game, but now that leverage is is more played out in the, the air on the field. It is, do you have playmakers who can get out in space and use their speed to create advantageous situations? And if you have length, you take that away. Um, I, I did want to ask you one more thing before we get out of here. Um, j- just on Jaron Kanick, because he he's you know kind of heavy on the on the fans' interest, and that there's been multiple comments about you know the, is kind of starting to figure the game out, the the mental piece. Uh, this is something that we've heard a lot, and fans know you you didn't play middle backer, but you were there. You did have to know a lot about what was going on, and you saw Venables coaching up close. When you hear that, does that sound just extremely negative to you, or or are you hearing something else? You know, in terms of, of the thoughts on uh, on number seven out there. When you say it, what's the it in terms of the rumors around the light bulb needing to come on? Or yeah, or I think just the, the the physical side that the fans saw last year, the ability to close space, the speed, but then hearing Venables get up there and oppressor, and then continuing into the spring saying, "Good athlete, still needs to figure some stuff out." Uh, I mean, you know, it's here's 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 the game. And we've talked about it before. The game is it's almost Chinese checkers and chess today. The game is a is a smart man's game. Again, the whole idea that there's a bunch of big brutes running into each other and creating a, a mosh pit. And then the, the fastest guy on the team runs around the edge. Aside from Pee Wee, like like that's not even JV football anymore. You know what I mean? Like aside from Pee Wee football. Right. You're not going to see that. And so um, I think for for seven, the attributes are there. The want to and the will is there. Um, and, and here's 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 how I look at it from a coaching lens. We're in what? We're still in March. If you're looking at him to potentially be your starter in August, you can't praise and heap praise on him the second practice of the of, of the spring season, right? So right now he is a guy who's going to earn it on the field. He is a guy who's going to earn it with sweat equity. He is a guy who's going to have to beat out a Kobe and, and co right. Whoever else is coming up, but I, don't, don't get it twisted into thinking the coaches don't want and anticipate that he will make the leaps and bounds he needs to make. He's got 13 more practices. All right. During the spring to show the improvement Summertime is where you really, 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 really get locked in, right? It really is that time. The summer is where you gain a full understanding and you're repping every other day on the field with your guys. And then you're repping every day in the um, the film room. Mm-hmm. So if I'm Kanek, right, he's got to need an elephant. And I think Coach Venables is letting people know, hey, bro, you got to need an elephant. And if if you get caught up in what your ability says you have the potential to do, potential gets you set on the bench. Um, but if he takes one bite 
in one practice and takes another bite the next practice. And then obviously at the end of spring, he's consumed 30%. And then over the course of summer, he eats another 30 to 40%. And then during, uh, during fall camp, he shows that he's about ready to swallow, you know, whatever, get it done. I think that's the journey coach has him on. Cause here's the deal. You don't just make six foot and a half or six, one, you know, four, four, 40 dudes uh, who are physical and explosive and have a lot of heart and desire. Uh, by the way, the last time we had one of those, his name was Teddy Lehman. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and don't expect those guys to be big time difference makers. So he has an opportunity ahead of him. He has the potential to get it done. Yeah, there's a little bit of wait and see out there. And, and I think everybody aside from three or four guys are in a position where it's wait and see, you know, this isn't like Roy Lee's junior year, right? The 2001 season, Roy Lee coach, coach even said it, coach said it at Roy Lee's uh, high hall of fame. He was like, he was like, Roy, sit this one out. Like Roy could sit practices out. Cause he, he had a like 99% efficiency ratio. Like he knew exactly what to do every single time. And then on the impromptu stuff, he was wearing like, how the hell did you know? Like that was so impromptu. He'd be there. Right. That's a Mark Clayton. That's a Ryan Broyles. Right. Those are, that's a Teddy Lehman. Right. You know, that's a Derek Strait. So, uh, Kenick needs reps. At the end of the day, he needs reps. And you know what's crazy about spring? They're going to give him a million reps, Barry. They're going to give him a million reps. And he's going to have the ability to watch hours and hours and hours of film. Here's another cheat code for for spring. And I'm kind of, you know, a lot of people don't know this. Please believe spring is a season where you kind of, like, there's some practices, Barry. There's some practices. Let's just say we're killing the defense in quick game. Right. So they're in they're in a zone coverage, they're playing a cloud or they're playing a, a strong coverage, whatever they're doing. And as the receivers, we know they're in zone and we're eating their ass up. Oh, believe me, B, there'll be a period where it's 30 minutes and coach is like, screw that. Both teams know exactly what the other's doing. Go win. Like there's going to be times where they're going to be like, yo, man, we're running the power or we're running the RPO and we're pulling the guard through. Like, let me see what you do when you know the play is coming, because they still need to be able to see you execute if you ever get there. Right. There's an aspect of football where you could be a deer in the headlights and and you're lost. And so the coach needs to know, like, but what if he wasn't lost? What would he do? I believe there will be plenty of opportunities this spring where, you know, I, 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 I bet it's the action stuff that kicks his butt. Right. He's read. He's not reading guards. He's reading quarterbacks or running backs. And and he's getting confused because he wants to chase ball, see ball, chase ball. I bet you. And I don't know this, but this is what I'm thinking. And I guarantee you there are going to be some periods over the course of the spring where they're going to give him the opportunity to five plays in a row. Just read the guard and every play, the guard's going to take him to the ball because that'll let them know if he's coachable to do what he's supposed to do. So if you're a mechanic, just be coachable, bro. You know, saying take a chill pill, uh, be physical, be fast. But it's going to boil down to him getting the actual basics, because once you build the fundamentals and the basics, you know, you know, about building a house, what's what's the most important part? The foundation. You got the foundation. Everything else is pretty easy. Hmm. Man, before we get out of here, I got one 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 quick little question for you that this is more of a a fan curiosity here. I'll say it right now. I think 81 looks better on Stogner than 18. Um, I, I saw him out there wearing that. So so we saw a few number changes from some elite guys, right? Your Woody Washington back to five. 
right? You got Caleb Hicks, who's now wearing the zero. That's my guy, what? by the way. That's there my guy. Go, man. That's my yeah, guy. He's looking good. He's looking good. We didn't bring him up, but he's looking good. What does the the number issue look like, especially when you're bringing in, you know, let's say you got a Roy Williams or an, an Adrian Peterson. How does that work with freshmen? And then let's say you got a Woody who wants to change his number his last year. Does he kind of carte blanche get the right to say, hey, underclassmen, that's mine? Or, or, or what's the deal there? Give the fans a, a little inside baseball on how that works. Uh, I'm going to keep it short and sweet, and I'm going to tell a story, and then we'll be done. Uh, listen, it's not a democracy. It's not. It's a dictatorship. If you that dude, you're going to get the number you want. The end. Straight up. If AD wanted to switch his number to, uh, I don't remember some of the guys they played with, but let's just say uh, Willie Willie Peoples, I believe, was 29. If AD was seeing his, his, his junior, like, Willie P, I love you, bro. I need 29. Willie P would have been looking at 19 or looking at 9 or looking at 31, right, if AD wanted that number. That's just the way it goes, right? I mean, this ain't the pros. You ain't got to pay me nothing, or you, or you, you ain't paying nothing. I guess nil does change that, right? Maybe they, have, maybe they work an nil deal out there. But um, no, in, in all seriousness, um, yeah, that that number issue is a big deal. If you look good and you feel good, you are more likely to play good. And uh, sometimes you brought Roy Lee up, but sometimes, by the way, Roy wore 12 our entire life. Uh, He wore 12 his entire high school career. So I was 10. He was 12 when we were in high school. Roy wanted 12 when we got to OU, but whoever had it, who knows? I think it was like, no, Patrick Fletcher wore 16. Somebody wore 12. Wasn't Roy. Roy, I got 36. Bro, I was 36. Oh, my God. God, but I got recruited as, as a DB. <laughs> so I'm 36. Again, I don't even get to touch the field. I'm rehabbing my leg the entire time. Roy's yeah. 38. Roy came in and fought for 12, didn't get it, ended up with 38. And what happened? He made 38 a household mother sucking dog number, right? Yeah. So, so there's that part. Then there's the other part of during spring. That same, our freshman year, or 99, our retro freshman year, Josh Heupel comes in, and uh, Josh wanted, I forgot what number Josh wanted, but he had no skins. He's a JC guy. No one knows who the hell he is. He wanted a number. He couldn't get it. So guess what number he got? 10. Well, I was number 10 in high school, and I wore 36. And so, you know, I'm working my way up the depth chart during spring. So guess what number I want? I want 10. So at the end of spring... I start from 14. I work my way up to being a, a part of the 2D so that I can get a lot of reps. I was the 1B with Jarrell Jackson. I go to Greg Tipton, who at the time was the head uh, equipment guy. And I say, hey, GT, I need that 10, bro. And then he was like, well, you got to ask Hype. Because if Hype wants 10, Hype was like, I don't want it. I won't. You know, he wanted 14, right? And 14 became available. I don't remember who had it or whatever. So I'm like, look, man. I need that. I need that. Uh, I need that 10. So GT is like, Hey, it looks like you get 10. So I, we, we spring ends. I, we all go home and <laughs> was this my first summer? This is my first summer with Schmidt. Yeah. This is the first time. So the first summer with Schmidt, I didn't come back the first day. I was, I, I, I totally did what a lot of, you know, casuals do the casual community. I came back like the second week of June and it was on some like, you know, I'm, I'm going to Cali. Oh, I got to get my car. Like I had some excuses and Schmidt didn't really pull my car, but he was just like, I right, Roy stayed. Roy stayed from May 27th, did the early work. And, and, and Roy called me like, bro, you ain't ready. I said, 
said, bro, we already did off season. He said, this ain't off season. This is different. I was like, oh shit. Right. So I come back the second, second week of June. So we come back and they're doing fittings. Right. So I'm like, okay, bet I got 10, you know what I'm saying? Hype about hype showed me his 14. So I'm feeling good, looking good. I'm like, who I'm on deck to get 10, man. I must've went in there. There's this big egotistical looking six, three, you know what I'm saying? Crazy man looking dude, cross-eyed, dark-skinned it top from Miami, Florida, talking about 10 is mine. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what do you say to that? Like, what do you do? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm 5 to 11. Uh, I, I, I probably weigh, my red shirt freshman, I probably weighed 187 pounds. Oh, man. This dude is, this dude is twice my size. He runs as fast as me, and he's hella, he look hella mean and intimidating. Oh. And, uh, so I'll yeah I'll I'll take thirteen I'll I'll take thirteen GT the the crazy thing is GT came back to me and was like yo Mac if you want ten you guys can vote for a ten but Coach Venables was one of the guys who said we don't want Mac to wear ten if at all possible because we're going to use both of them on specials right so it would have been a conflict of interest on special teams if we're both on the field at the same time so I took thirteen. You know, obviously T. Marshall took 10. He wore it well. I, I I watched him play very proudly in the number that I, I so eloquently wanted. And then, of course, once you make a number, you know, I wouldn't have done the Woody deal. I wouldn't have done. I think Woody was a different number. His freshman year was Woody. I don't think he was. Well, Woody zero. was five originally. Correct. Right. So that, that whole thing, you know, I, I get it, I guess. But uh Hmm. Roy made 38 as a redshirt freshman and he wasn't switching numbers. I made 13 as a redshirt freshman and I just wasn't switching numbers. I wanted a, I wanted 10. I was never a single digit guy. I think I wore a single digit one year and it was my worst year ever playing. I was always a teens guy. Cause if you remember, or maybe you don't know this, but in my years, receivers couldn't wear team numbers. I think Keyshawn Johnson was the first guy to wear a team number in the NFL. And then they kind of opened it up, but I, I liked yeah, yeah, yeah. But and, and back in back in the day, teen like like skill guys in the teens was like skill guys with single digits. Single digits always have been a thing, right? But the teen numbers, it was it was kind of fresh to have a teen number as well. And so I wore 10, Roy wore 12, and that was kind of our thing. Uh, but I, I I never wore 10 uh one day in my life at the University of Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story, man. That might be one of the better stories that we've heard. <laughs> True story, that by is- the way. True that is awesome, man. Yeah, you know, f- fans don't get to see that stuff, and then all of a sudden the roster comes out, and it's like Woody's five, Caleb zero. What what happened? How Dayson get one? He's you know he just got here, Looking right? Sweet. So, that, you go, that tells yeah. you he did something right in the spring. That I mean, when a, that tells you, like, if you a scrub and you ain't making times, they're not giving you one. That's not happening. It's not happening for sure. Mm. Not happening. Good stuff, man. Well. Sooner Nation, we're going to keep bringing you some awesome content. Spring game coming up April 22nd. Uh, going to try and do something out there. Uh, but if you're not, make sure you go subscribe to Sooners360.com. Go get you a membership. Bunch of cool stuff up there. Just did, uh, what one of our analysts just did a an interview with a 2025 prospect. Uh, so I won't give the name out on here, but go check it out. Awesome stuff. Make sure to go on Twitter at Barry and Mac SHW. Leave us a rating and review and then make sure to keep following the page. But as always, thank you all so much for tuning in and we will see you soon.